0: Today on Pop Talk.
1: And there's a lot less that we know about this virus than we know about how the flu uh, behaves.
0: Pop Talk is a fact and science-based podcast dealing with important health topics. Our focus is to educate, entertain, and inform you on a variety of health issues. And now your hosts, Dr. Shane Fernando, Dr. Amy rains Melenkoff, Prachi Thopper, and Sukanya Roy. Welcome to Pop Talk. Today, we have a relevant topic to discuss, the coronavirus and its impact on our lives. I'm your host, Dr. Shane Fernando. Due to social isolation and prevention measures, this episode of Pop Talk will be a little bit different. My student co-hosts, Prachi and Sakanya, as well as our guests, will be calling in. I know that the audio quality could be better, but we need to keep our guests and hosts safe as well. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Diana Cervantes who has worked in the Tarrant County Public Health Department and the Texas Department of State Health Services. She is ideally positioned to discuss coronavirus and its impact with us. Diana, would you well, introduce hi, yourself?
1: Yes. Yeah. Hi, Dr. Brando. Uh, yes, my name is Diana Cervantes, and I did work in public health practice for 17 years, both as a microbiologist, as an epidemiologist, and also in an infection prevention. Uh, before becoming an assistant professor in the School of Public
0: Health. Wow, you have quite a interesting uh, career trajectory. Did you experience any other outbreaks other than uh, the coronavirus? Did you get? what Did you work with the Ebola outbreak? Uh? Right.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you work in public health practice, outbreaks is uh, that's the name of the game. That's your bread and butter. That's what you do every day. So. Um, you do small outbreaks from salmonella outbreaks in a daycare to, yeah, from working large outbreaks, you know, really large cases like Ebola um, and, of course, uh, influenza H1N1 2009 when that came out as well.
0: Yeah. Well, those are all uh, really worrisome, but it seems like uh, coronavirus really has everyone far more panicked than, <laughs> than those. Um, so before much, we jump... Much. Yeah. Before we jump right in, how about uh, could, could my student co-hosts please introduce yourselves and just uh, just let the audience know who you are?
2: Hi, my name is Sukanya Roy. I'm a third year medical student. And
3: Hi, my name is Prachi. I'm also a third year medical
2: student.
0: Great, thanks. And uh, both of you have uh, canvassed uh, a bunch of questions for us to, uh, to answer today. And uh, we have quite a few, and that's kind of indicative of the, um, the public state of mind, it seems. Um, right.
3: There's just been a lot of uh, things that we have heard from our friends or that we've been reading on like social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those. And there's just a lot of information going around, so we thought it'd be a good time to figure out what's right, wrong, and see what's happening.
2: All right. So
3: to start off with, I know you were just talking about kind of like the different uh, pandemics that you've dealt with in the past, Dr. Cervantes, with like H1N1 um, and Ebola. So what would you say is different this time around with corona versus how you dealt with those other pandemics? Right. So
1: with uh, this pandemic uh, and, of course, the last time we had a pandemic was in 2009 with influenza and and so what is different with this Um, we can't really overlay the pandemic planning exactly as we would have with influenza uh, because even with influenza when you do have a pandemic situation you're still likely to have some immunity and and you can you know how to make a flu vaccine um, and you can quickly and test quickly test the effectiveness of currently available and approved antivirals for a new flu virus but of course that's not the case here um, so we're having to take much more aggressive um, prevention measures in terms of travel restrictions and you know of course some multiple emergency declarations at the state and the county and the city levels um, so there's a lot more going on and there's a lot less that we know about this virus than we know about how the flu uh, behaves. Um, so we know, even going into a pandemic with flu, that you're still going to have that seasonality. Um, mm-hmm. We know what happens with whenever flu new flu strains emerge, um, and you have a, a new flu strain that causes a pandemic. You know that at some point it's going to be it's probably going to become the predominant strain, and you're still going to see that seasonality of it's going to come in the uh, in the fall, winter, and it's going to ebb again in the spring. Uh, with this coronavirus, we really don't know. Um, we can just assume, make certain assumptions because of what we know in general about coronaviruses, but we really don't know. So it's a whole new um, it's a whole new game for us. Um, nobody has immunity. We're all susceptible to infection because we, none of us have experienced this. So um, again, really having to take those aggressive measures to see how we can prevent. Um, any additional morbidity mortality. Now we know we can't eliminate it completely, but trying to reduce it as much as possible.
2: Ever since the uh, pandemic has really started, there's been a lot of terms that have been thrown around, like social distancing, isolation, and quarantine. What, are, what is the difference between all those terms? And what are some actions that an average person can take to keep themselves safe? So social distancing
1: is keeping a six to eight feet distance from individuals with the assumption that anybody can be infected with this virus. So that's what's being requested of all of us. Now, isolation is when um, you separate an ill person from those who are healthy to prevent spread of the disease. And quarantine is whenever you separate healthy people from others because they've had a high-risk exposure that places them at high risk for developing the disease. And that is done for a specific time period. Usually quarantine is um, the maximum incubation period of the disease. So in COVID-19, that's why it's 14 days. And just a general things that um, the general things people can do, of course, to take care of themselves. Um, I really like now when you go into Google, they've got uh, a nice little message, you know, the five things you can Mm -hmm. do, and those hold true. And you can make sure that you're washing your hands often. If you cough and and sneeze, do that into your sleeve or disposable tissue. You know, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth, which I know is easier said than done. Um, But most importantly, you definitely want to uh, stay home and away from others if you have any signs or symptoms. That
2: totally makes sense. Thank you. I've also noticed that a lot of other countries have created songs for hand-washing <laughs> and what are the appropriate <laughs> steps to take, and I think that's a pretty good idea in helping people remember what to do in a kind of a fun way.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that. Right, uh, yeah,
2: that's always helpful. Um, as I mentioned, even when we work
1: daycare outbreaks, uh, and hand-washing is so important in those scenarios, we, we try to teach that to kids songs. Uh, we tell them to vampire Cough." <laughs> um, that's how we teach them toss into their sleeves. We do a little vampire thing. You know, it's those easy things that help people remember. Um, and especially with kids that make it fun, um, it, it definitely makes a difference. Yes, it does.
0: You're listening to Pop Talk, and we are discussing the coronavirus.
1: So, yeah, everybody is stockpiling. And I understand people, this is something new, and um, they hear emergency declarations. And they think that means that the government is going to shut things down or that our daily lives are going to be interrupted um, in a way that we're not going to be able to get our basic needs met. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, how to prevent it? It's, I don't know if you can prevent it, honestly, beyond um, maybe the, the government coming and saying, well, we can only, you know, have people, so many people at a store, or things like that, because... Uh, there's just a fear of the of the unknown um, and people react differently um, to these types of situations so uh, to me it was surprising when I you know saw that people were hoarding toilet paper why toilet paper <laughs> I still don't really understand that yeah, yeah, that's or even one. Um, right or even bottled water um, you know the water source isn't contaminated so yeah. um, I was at the store and there was uh, a woman saying you know I just need to get water for myself and my mom and I just I just didn't understand why people don't understand that there's still tap water. The tap water isn't contaminated. It's safe to drink. We're not running out of water. Um, it's it's just it's just the fear of the unknown. And there's very little that you can really do to try to prevent it besides trying to get the messaging out, um, letting people know that yes, uh, the stores are still they're still working, they're still functioning, they're still stocking their shelves. Um, and it's it's unfortunately a vicious cycle. The stores stock their shelves. People hear about it and they <laughs> run out and get stuff. So. It's just going to take time um, for people to realize that, that we're going to be okay as far as groceries go, uh, and our toilet paper and water, <laughs> um, and then it's it's going to get old and they're going to forget about it.
0: Yeah. And it seems like sanitation supplies like Lysol and Clorox and, uh, uh, is a problem too. But uh, one hmm. of the things we've also noticed um, are face masks and um uh, the, the N95 specifically, those respirator masks being out of stock and a lot of clinics suffering because of that. They can't seem to supply themselves. Is there a way that they can uh, deal with that? Because I know that some of the advice that's been given out is that uh, the paper masks um, may prevent spreading the vi- cor- coronavirus when you have it um, and the N95s can prevent uh, receiving it, but only when you're in a high traffic or high exposure area?
1: So for the general public, uh, they really shouldn't be, of course, going around wearing face masks, especially if you're just out in an open area. Um, it's the social social distancing is gonna be more effective, honestly. Uh, we do need to make sure that we're being careful with those supplies because healthcare providers who are at highest risk, they need to have those supplies. Or people even in their own homes who are taking care of somebody who's ill, they should be able to have a face mask for the person who's ill or for themselves when they're caring for somebody who's ill. Uh, it's almost, it goes back to that stockpiling um, and misinformation. Um, people just don't understand um they don't really trust the way it's transmitted. They think it's maybe airborne or they don't think it's going to be enough distancing. And the issue is is that whenever you wear a face mask and you're not used to it, um, it actually gives you a very false sense protection of, of protection because you're more likely to just go around touching your face. Um, and I've seen many people wearing yeah. masks and it's not covering their mouth, nose, or chin. Um, or they take it off, they're pulling it on and off. At that point, then there's really you just made the, the mask useless so um and also reusing the mask mask of course if you've worn a mask if you've worn a face mask you know that they do become um wet and humid and they they're not effective at that point as well so uh, it's best of course just save the supplies for healthcare providers they're at greatest risk um they're the people who are going to be taking care of all of us if you know we need medical care we want to make sure that if we need that we're that that's stuff is available to us when we need to go to our healthcare provider.
3: provider. I know when Sukani and I were on rotations recently before we were sent back home, um, they actually came around to some students teaching them the proper way to wear the mask, um, because there's been a lot of uh, people who are wearing them ineffectively and it can not be helpful at all whatsoever. So that was interesting to see. Right
0: you're listening to pop talk and we're discussing the coronavirus
3: so i know a lot of people i've heard have been mentioning just about how to get tested or if there is a need to get tested if they're exhibiting symptoms or not even exhibiting symptoms um so just what are your thoughts on that and just over the price of testing that's been
1: going around so the need for testing if you do not have any signs or symptoms if you have very minor signs and symptoms then testing isn't going to change the action. Um, right now, as we know, there is no vaccine, there aren't any antivirals uh, against this virus. So if you get tested and you're positive and you just have minor signs of symptoms or no signs of symptoms, the recommendations are going to be the same for you after the testing as they were before the testing, and that is going to be to keep your distance from other people. If you're positive I'm saying, uh, keep your distance from other people, make sure you're staying home when you're sick, washing your hands often, covering your coughs and sneezes. Uh, now, if you get tested at this point, you're positive. That's going to also add an additional layer of public health follow-up that isn't going to, per se, be necessary. If you don't have major signs and symptoms, of health, the health department's going to contact you, contact all of your contacts. Um, they're going to um, have have you called you're going to get called every day to find out your signs and symptoms. Your contacts will be called um, at least once to find out what their signs and symptoms are. So it just adds a layer of complexity that, um, again, it's something that you. the actions are not going to be, your personal actions are not going to be that different before and after the test if you have minor signs and symptoms. Now, if you have uh, major signs and symptoms, you know, a severe cough, shortness of breath, a high fever it is important to be tested for those individuals because they need to be aware healthcare providers need to know that you do have this virus not just because of the, the potential people you've exposed because of your signs and symptoms um, again your signs and symptoms make it greater that you can transmit the virus um, but also to make sure that they're um, evaluating what kind of supportive care they can give you uh, because of this uh, new virus so th- those are Overall, that's what you need to consider with testing. If you're healthy, you don't have any signs and symptoms, the testing isn't going to make a difference on the actions you take um, based on the test results. So are you
2: saying that if you are not as healthy, so you're in the older generation or you have comorbidities or you're more immunosuppressed, you should be more wary of your symptoms and you should get tested um, like earlier than you would if, rather than if you were healthy?
1: Yeah, so definitely. Right now, the, uh, the testing criteria uh, that has been released by CDC as well as the state health department does have that as a criteria for testing. If you have underlying health conditions, if you're at high risk and you have some signs and symptoms, then the recommendation is that you should be tested again. Because if they know that you have the virus early on and they can at least know how best to track your disease and provide you the supportive care you may need as the disease progresses... Um, but if you're healthy again, it's not going to make a big difference on your, on your actions. And what about the cost of testing? I've heard like an outrageous number
3: as high as 3000 for people who are uninsured. Um, is there a big cost to it or is it free? What, what is kind of the fact
1: there? So I'm not sure exactly what the cost is at a commercial lab or when we say cost, if you mean the overall cost of, of care that's received um, from somebody who's minor versus somebody who has very severe signs and symptoms and they have to be hospitalized and ventilated, of course that can then start to climb. Um, but the public health labs are not charging people for this testing, um, but again, they only have limited, even at max capacity, they're... The public health labs function is not to be a diagnostic lab, um, so they do offer that uh, free. But that's why they do have the criteria for testing that they need to follow. It's not just anybody, uh, because again, public health labs were never intended to be a primary diagnostic lab like Quest or LabCorp. They're not set up that way. Uh, they don't have the resources to do that. And um, so, I know in, in my past experience, when we have had commercial labs that do the testing as we're seeing now with coronavirus, uh, people who have insurance, people who have access to healthcare, and they meet the criteria, we definitely ask them to be tested at the commercial lab, uh, because we want to make sure and reserve our resources for those people who are at high risk um, for developing severe disease, uh, for having exposed people um, that are high risk, and they don't have the resources to have that testing done, um, to be able to provide that. free the the actual test Mm
2: -hmm. so where should you go should you go to your primary care physician or the er depending
1: on the signs and symptoms you may have obviously if they are emergency signs and symptoms like severe shortness of breath chest pain a very high fever um, anything that is an emergent situation like that then you definitely need to go to the emergency room if you suspect it's a covid Try to give a, a call ahead of time, um, definitely with your own health care provider. So if you're having some minor signs and symptoms and you're like, hey, I'm developing a cough, I have a fever, I think I might have this, you always want to call your health care provider before you just show up. You don't want to just show up because you, if you do have this virus, um, you could then expose people who are at high risk for severe disease, and they could be very, very sick. And we don't want that to happen. So um, you do want to go to a health care provider, but you always want to call ahead of time.
2: Okay, sounds good.
0: So one of the things that we've seen is a rapid spread of misinformation in the public. Social media... Um, as usual has not been our best friend in this fight against coronavirus uh, we've seen a little bit of uh, racism xenophobia starting to spread out is there any way we can counteract it
1: yeah with um, with this type of situation and actually this is interesting because I always when I teach my infectious disease epidemiology class and I'm training infectious disease at these and work outbreaks in the field I've always uh, mentioned that um, it's always been in my experience anytime you have an outbreak especially something large like this 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 situation always happens you have groups that are going to be uh, categorized and they're going to be they're going to make just huge generalizations about that we saw that with with 2009 h1n1 that um, in that case there was a little girl who um, she her family had traveled to Mexico uh, and that started a whole storm of you know people from Mexico and Mexicans and all of these things So that's not uncommon. We see this uh, during outbreaks. We saw that of course as well with Ebola. Um, we I think the best way to address this is know that it exists and try to, uh, put out messaging but as soon as possible in regards to this night, and, and that that was done. Um, I think pretty pretty rapidly in this situation. That was addressed. I think with maybe with Ebola or again um, even with 2009 H1N1. Uh, it was only after the fact that it really started to build that I think it was addressed.
0: Absolutely, and um, uh, th- th- that is a very good thing. Uh, So one of the things that we also would like to do with you here, since we still have you on the phone, is go through a series of uh, statements that we've been hearing or have been uh, put out there by social media or by other agencies, and if you would, just let us know if they're true or false.
1: Okay, I'll do my best.
0: Great. Uh, And also, this is a disclaimer, we do know that you're not a physician, but as a trained epidemiologist, Um, Your opinion does hold some weight.
2: So, Dr. Cervantes, I was randomly surfing YouTube the other day, and I came across a Fox News video where the correspondent, Geraldo Rivera, mentioned that when you hold your breath for 10 seconds, it's a test to see if you have the virus or not. So if you aren't able to hold it, then you do have the virus, and if you are able to hold it, then you don't have the virus. What do you feel about this? Uh, Right, false.
1: I would say that it's false. Uh, holding your breath really has nothing to do with whether or not you're infected Again, there's people who are uh, very minor signs and symptoms or don't have signs and symptoms at all and they can still be infected all right next one true or false
3: do hand sanitizer help prevent the
1: the virus that is true but you need to make sure that your hands are still clean. Uh, it doesn't matter how much sanitizer you use if you have soiled hands. So that's why it's very important to wash your hands thoroughly throughout the day and, of course, use hand sanitizer as a supplement. And there's a quick follow-up to that one.
3: Are DIY hand
1: sanitizers effective, like using hydrogen peroxide or alcohol? Uh, False. I'm going to say false because uh, we don't know how people are making those, uh, the conditions in which they're making them. And sometimes people can mix chemicals uh, that can be very dangerous to mix together. So I strongly do not recommend that people uh, do not, I recommend they do not do that.
0: <laughs> and how about this statement we, uh, we've we seen before, uh, drinking alcohol kills the virus. Is that true or false?
1: Uh, that is false i'm sure uh i don't see how those two are connected um maybe it can make me forget a little bit about what's going on but I don't, as far as, started, as,
2: far as I, I find that highly unlikely there's also been some rumors that oncoming heat will prevent the spread of the virus true or false
1: uh that's an unknown we really don't know we can just go based on what we've seen with Um, other viruses that are very similar, other coronaviruses. So we have seasonal coronaviruses that cause the common cold. And they do uh, start to peak in December. and March, they start to subside, much like we see with the flu. Uh, Whether or not we're going to see this with this virus, we don't know. Um, Viruses that are like this, um, envelope viruses, they do tend to be less stable in the heat, um, with high heat and humidity. Uh, But, of course, there are many places um, around the globe that have very temperate climates, and they still have seasonal flu. Um, so we really don't know. It's, it's, we just have to kind of wait and see. Okay, so oh. is it true or false that
3: the only the elderly can be infected? The Only the
1: elderly? Yes. Uh, that is false. Uh, anybody can be infected, uh, but... Again, we are all susceptible to this virus for infection because it is new to all of us. Nobody has immunity. Um, Now people who are elderly are more likely to have severe um, illness and critical illness with this virus, but that doesn't mean that we're not all susceptible to infection as well as severe disease. We're
2: all susceptible.
0: And what about um, statements like the flu or pneumonia vaccines helping prevent the virus?
1: That is, that's, a, that's you can't really call that a black or white or a false because in a way, if you um, are preventing the flu and preventing uh, pneumonia, if you uh, prevent that, then your your body in general is going to probably be healthier. Um, if you've had like pneumonia, for example, and you're just getting better from it, and then on top of that, you get this uh, this virus, then yeah, that could put you probably at higher risk to. Um, Have more severe illness because you're just getting back, you know, you're just getting back into your regular normal health from another illness. So, you always want to make sure that you're keeping it generally healthy, doing those things that you would do to keep general health, including your routine vaccinations for flu and uh, pneumonia. Um, So, in that case, then yes, it could help because it's going to help your overall general health if you do
2: get this infection. Is it true that it's not safe to receive packages from China or eat Chinese food? That's false. Um,
1: we know that the virus, although it can um, exist on surfaces for, you know, up to a, a few days. Um, on cardboard, there was a recent study that came out. I think it was um, less than a few hours. And you also have to consider those are in the best condition. Um, packages go through a lot of humidity and heat that really inactivates the virus. So that's false. Okay, this is a fun one. Uh,
3: Is the virus at all related to the beer, Corona?
1: That is false. (laughs) It is not related to the beer at all. The reason uh, coronaviruses are called coronaviruses is because um, whenever uh, you see images of them, they have these little spikes and they look like a crown. Um, and that's why they're
0: called coronavirus. And, and dear listeners, we ask that question because uh, we we've seen polls and information showing that a, a, a substantial amount of Americans actually believe that Corona beer is related to the coronavirus. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How about rinsing your nose with saline? Do you think that would help?
1: Um, you know, I would say probably not. Again, I'm not a physician. Um, I would think it really. Um, wouldn't help because um, whenever they do the testing for example for the virus they don't just do a nasal swab they use an NP swab that goes of course all the way back Um, so I don't think that just rinsing out your nose is going to make a big difference and um, we do have those innate immunity those immune responses uh, in our nose automatically to help prevent us from getting sick so um, I don't think that would really help.
2: For our next one, after a patient recovers, are they immune to the virus or can they get it again?
1: So we still don't know 100% about this virus. But we do know that um, with other coronaviruses, um, there is some kind of, obviously we aren't all mounting immunity against coronaviruses. Because we see them, we can be infected with them over and over again. Throughout the season. So, and I do believe there's a, a couple papers that have come out that have shown people that have been, uh, that were infected, uh, their symptoms resolved, they were PCR negative, and then again, uh, they were infected. So, we don't know exactly what is going on. Now, what likely will happen is once you do get infected, you will have some type of immunity. Um, maybe instead of being more likely to get a lower respiratory signs and symptoms, maybe it's going to give you ACU symptoms. If you do get infected again you might have minor signs and symptoms um, but that's still under investigation
3: and another one is should we be avoiding eating
1: meat I would say that is false as um, everybody's preference if you choose to eat meat or not eat meat but um, what this really has to do with the virus I'm not I'm not really sure because uh, meat isn't contaminated with this virus uh, and maybe that's where this rumor came, is, um, came from, is that the virus originated in an open-air market in China. But um, really, the thought is that this virus originated um, somehow from bats and made a jump to an intermediary uh, animal host. Um, we don't know what that is, and maybe that's where this rumor is coming from. But our meat supply, um, as far as chicken and beef, highly unlikely to have anything to do with this virus.
0: And uh, this is just more of a, uh, a prediction type of a question. I know it's, it'll be a little bit hard to answer, but any kind of insight would be helpful. Um, I've heard, had so many people ask me, how long do you think this is going to last? How long do I need to isolate myself? How long do we need uh, to prevent um, or kill off this coronavirus?
1: What do you think? Yeah, that is definitely a hard question, and um, I think we're in for the long haul with this virus. Um, Whenever you have a virus that uh, efficiently and effectively transmits from person to person, um, it's something that is not likely to just go away. Um, So I think we're making a lot of comparisons to the original SARS um, SARS-CoV-1 um, and say, well, you know, that, that did, although that did cause over 8,000 infections and over 700 deaths, it did burn itself out. But a major difference with that virus is that people were more, they had more virus when they really started showing signs and symptoms and they had more severe signs and symptoms. So it was easy to isolate those people. Um, and it, that virus didn't transmit as easily as we're seeing with this virus. Um, so it was able to, in, in essence, burn itself out. Um, in this case, what you're likely seeing is people who don't have signs and symptoms who are transmitting, people who have minor signs and symptoms that are easily transmitting. Um, that is just, those are the perfect conditions to have something that is likely going to become endemic, meaning it's always going to be with us. Um, now, how long it's going to take uh, to get to that point, who know? you know, it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to to predict exactly all of these prevention and control measures, how they're going to affect things. Um, They're definitely going to slow things down um, so that we don't overwhelm our healthcare system with people who are becoming very sick. Um, But at some point, we're going to have to get immunity, either through a vaccine that's going to be developed um, or naturally. And for it to become endemic, I think that um, virologists typically say it's about, you know, you have to have like 70%. Of the population to have that kind of herd immunity going on Uh, so how long how long that's gonna be I don't know but I I would definitely say you're well I think well into the summer is is fair to say
0: great Uh, not probably the best of news for a lot of people but uh, (laughs) we do have to deal with what we have Um, and um, I'm sure that all the listeners out there are Listening to the proper recommendations from the CDC, the WHO, and from local uh, county public health departments, um, I know that this is a difficult time for everyone, but I hope everyone out there is being safe, being secure, and um, I hope that this information that you heard from this podcast helps you in some way. Thank you so much, Dr. Diana Cervantes, for your time with us, for speaking with us, and sharing some of your knowledge with us. Um, Thank you, Sukanya and and Prachi, for being amazing co-hosts as always. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And next episode, we'll be looking at community resources for common uh, public and population health issues. Thank you so much, and we look forward to having you. As are our guest next time.
1: Thank you, Dr. Fernando. Thank you, Dr. Fernando. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Pop Talk is a production of the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine and is produced at the UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth. To learn more, please visit our website at unthsc.edu.